Well, Maharaj, so good to see you. Thank you for being back with us. Um, we are so, so glad to, to have you here. And um, this is our final session of the day. It's our questions and answers. Um, and so um, if you are, would you like to say any just opening words before we begin any questions or would you like us to just start with questions? I'm very happy to be with you for the Bhakti Center retreat. And thank you all people from all over the world who are coming. Um, this really is the fulfillment of a great dream that many of us had for the Bhakti Center for many years, where it could be a place um, where people could communicate, congregate, to uplift each other in a spirit of devotion for truly meaningful and spiritually connected lives. Um, and the test of anything really is when there are difficulties. The test of any community is when there are challenges in that community, or to speak of the test of the love and the loyalty of a family is when there are great tests, and maybe tests of between our egos, they may be economic tests, maybe health tests, maybe tests in all different types of situations. And in a community, um, when there are tests that come to us and we're still enthusiastic and eager to be there for one another, um, that's really how we grow. And this is just a wonderful dream come true for, for us that so many of the Bhakti Center community, wherever we may be, when there's an opportunity to be together, to inspire one another, to hear from each other, to sing together, that we take this wonderful opportunity and thank you. Thank you all very much from my heart. I thank each and every one of you. And if there's any questions, I will be honored to try to answer. Thank you so much, Maraj, um, for all of that. Um, I won't say any more, so we just get to the questions. There's a lot of really beautiful questions that have come in, and thank you all so much for, for sending them. Um, one of the first questions that we got in, somebody sent us even last night before the retreat even began, it's... Um, a lady from writing in from Chile, South America. She, read, she wrote, uh, she's a mother. She said, theoretically, I know that my daughter who was two years old could have had a relationship with me previously in another life. Perhaps it could have been my mother. But in practice, I find it difficult to understand that she is an independent soul and that sooner or later as she grows up, she will choose her own path. How can I take good care of her and, at the same time, develop the necessary detachment from her to avoid to be too much attached to her in my old age, but at the same time, not avoid any negligence in the loving raising that I should towards her um, in one of the most difficult relationships that we build, such as mother-daughter relationship? So, he's asking how to balance that tension of attachment. <laughs> As a Swami, 
I have no direct experience of raising children, but as a Swami, I have many, many parents who do come to me um, and explain their lives. And I have had um, thousands and thousands of observations. And of course, through reading the words of the great saints and the holy scriptures, we can get a window into realities that are really beyond our reach. And what we find there is something that is very practical. My beloved teacher, Srila Prabhupada, he did not take theoretical sciences so seriously unless they were practical to apply to our lives. So on one level, a mother is naturally deeply attached to a child. It's, it's an attachment that it's beyond reason, it's beyond intellect, it's an all-consuming attachment to a child because the child growing within her womb has been for perhaps nine months completely dependent upon her. And when that child comes out, um, even I have seen in the animal species, a mother's love for a child is so deep. It is said that the most dangerous animal is a mother lion who has just had her cubs. I remember some years ago, I was in Rishikesh with a group of students and we wanted to go to the ashram of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, which closed down long, long ago. And it's just for many decades, it was overgrown as the jungle because nobody took care of it. Um, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi left there um, and it was the, the forest department gave no attention to it. Recently, it's opened up again. But in between, I wanted to go up there because I lived there about 50 years ago, exactly, at this time. Um, but there were military guards and they said, nobody's allowed up there. So some of our students, they, they pleaded with the guard. You know, my, our teacher wants to go. He used to live here. And the person, he had a rifle in his hand. He said, there is female tiger and she has just had cubs and there is nothing more dangerous than a mother tiger because if you even walk in the direction of her cubs she will ferociously risk her life do anything to destroy you to protect her cubs so after he said that one of our people offered him I think, 50 rupees and he said, you can go. 
I asked, well, what about the female tiger? And he said, she won't bother you. So anyways, there's many various lessons from this story, but the principle is a mother's love by nature's way is something that's very deep. So how can a mother not be attached to her child? In order for that child to survive and to be emotionally nourished with love, with affection, with protection, then that natural motherly and fatherly attachment is necessary. On the path of bhakti, on the path of self-realization, it's not that that attachment should be eliminated. It should be expressed with a spiritual understanding that this is not just my child. This is God's child. This is Krishna's child that has been entrusted in my care. My example, my, and my example is the greatest expression of how I can show my love for, for this child. What I'm willing to give up for this child's sake, the character, the integrity in which I live to give this child proper values is my responsibility to God. And if we see that this child is an eternal spirit soul, and that eternal spirit soul has come into my womb, has now come into my life in this wonderful way, and this soul is, gonna, is going to trans, transmigrate in this body into youth and adolescence, and eventually old age and disease and death. This is the journey of every soul in a physical body. But while I have influence as a child of God in my care, with all my attachment and all my love, I'm going to give the very, very best I can to this child. And we have seen that even if a person is a multimillionaire or a billionaire, or even if a person is in total poverty, somehow or other, a mother or father who really cares to be an example, to protect with all their hearts their child, they give that child the chance to imbibe these values and these qualities. And that's love. Just before um, Raghunath was introducing my very um, honored and esteemed God sister Rukmini Devi, who will be on his show this Sunday, um, I often cite this because it impacted me. Some years ago, her son, her only son, Gauravani, who many of you know, he came to a pilgrimage with me in India. And there was about 5,000 people there. 
It was in a place called Pune, and we were just in one house, in one yard, for four days. It's kind of like a bhakti center retreat for four days, um, and we were all just, the people were cooking, people were dancing, people were singing, there were so many talks and lectures, and it was just beautiful. And Gorbani really melted everyone's hearts with his kirtans, with his personality. And at the very end of the four days, there was a closing session where the various people who were presenters could give a message that people could take home with them. And Gorbani, with great humility and tears in his eyes, he said that when I was a teenager, I was really going astray, but my mother was praying for me. And whatever qualifications, whatever I'm giving you, is because of my mother's prayers. And then he got choked up, and I saw 5,000 people, that's 10,000 eyes, were filled with tears, streaming with tears, when he said, Never underestimate the power of a loving mother's prayers. So certainly, she tried to give him everything she could physically, kindness, emotional, but also her prayers, her example, molded him, or even if he was going astray, those experiences, those samskaras or impressions were so deep in his heart, they were there when he needed them most. So don't be afraid to be attached to your child if you're God conscious. If we see that this is God's property, then we should be attached to the service we have to God to give love to this child. That attachment will awaken prema or love in your own heart because Krishna will be so pleased. But if we disconnect in a selfish way or an irresponsible way our attachment, then that attachment simply um, causes a hard knot that takes us away from our real spiritual path. I hope that answers your question. With, 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 with spiritual principles, with God in the center of our lives, be a wonderful mother. And that is the path of spiritual perfection. Thank, thank you, Mars. There was another um, question that somebody wrote earlier, separate from that one, but it, it, it flows very much into what you just mentioned. Um, uh, one of our friends from California wrote, when we see others suffering and pray for their well-being, does that person need to be open to receiving Krishna's mercy in order to receive it? How do prayers actually work? <laughs> prayers always work but according to 
a person's receptivity and according to certain factors of destiny, they may work in different ways. But a sincere and heartfelt prayer to the Supreme Being for the well-being of another is always of great benefit to that person. If a person is open to appreciate and receive our, our efforts to help, then the positive effect is something that's very visible. Otherwise, when we turn to God with sincere feeling, with sincere faith, God is always there to reciprocate. So no sincere prayer ever goes in pain. In fact, even if a person passes away, a loved one dies, if we are praying for the soul of that person, then this connecting point between all souls is Krishna, is God, whatever name we may have. But Krishna is in everyone's heart. And if we're offering a sincere prayer, if we're doing a puja, if we're offering what we're doing for the well-being of that soul, then we can know for sure it's Krishna's promise that that special blessings and grace are going to go to that soul, wherever that soul may be. So let us in a responsible, practical, and intelligent, thoughtful way try to do our very best to help people, to uplift people through our words, through our action, and through our prayers. And sometimes where our words and actions just don't have an effect, our prayers will. That effect may be today, or it may be in the future in the near or far future. But every prayer has a great effect. And in praying for the well-being of others, not only are we extending grace to that other through God's blessing, but we become nourished by that act. Thank, thank you so much, Maraj. The next question that we have, um, someone wrote in, what's the best way to contextualize societal norms from ancient texts that may have ideas about women or other groups sometimes that seem at odds with modern liberal values? How can I not let those ideas affect my ability to absorb and accept all the much more important wisdom being offered? We were speaking earlier today on this jewel of wisdom, Sara Grahi Janardana, that it's important we seek the essence. There's a beautiful 
verse that Lord Chaitanya would cite, that even that there are so many different scriptures, whether it be among the hundreds and hundreds of volumes of the Vedas or other scriptures, the Quran or the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, there's, there's many scriptures, the Buddhist scriptures, and there appear to be many different contradictions. There may appear to be different interpretations and then philosophers and saintly people throughout the ages, they have different ways of viewing the same truths. So how do we understand the actual path to spiritual enlightenment? How do we understand how to live in this world, how to think in this world, how to speak and act in this world in such a way that I'm nourishing the awakening of love for God in my heart and others. Mahajano yena gatasapanta. By following in the footsteps of enlightened people. And what enlightened people teach us is saragrahi. It's important that we seek the essence. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, to love God with all your, all your heart, all your mind, all your spirit is the first and great commandment. And the natural expression of that love is that you will love your neighbor as yourself. And in the Srimad Bhagavatam, um, Sutta Goswami tells, Sabai pong samparo dharamo yato that the supreme dharma is not this rule or that rule or this regulation or that regulation. The supreme dharma is that which actually helps to awaken our love for God. Suradam Sarvabhutanam. Krishna tells in Gita that I am equal to everyone. I am the well-wishing father and mother to everyone. No parent wants their children to be abused or neglected or discriminated against by, by brothers or sisters. So this is an essential principle. And there are, according to time, place, and situations throughout history, there are different explanations of What's the most favorable way to protect and uplift everyone? But the essence is that we are protecting and uplifting everyone. If that same principle becomes oppressive or suppressive or discriminatory, then we don't understand the essence. We don't understand the spirit. Jesus said that you can understand the letter of the law, but not understand the spirit and the power behind it. The spirit is compassion. And therefore, you know, we have to see through the lens of the purpose. If in the name of following a particular rule, we're, we're cruel, we're prejudiced, we're arrogant against another person, 
that we don't understand the spirit of that rule. The rules are meant to bring us closer. When, when my beloved spiritual teacher, Srila Prabhupada, came, you know, he, he really wanted to help us to move toward the essence. And there were certain adjustments based on those essential principles. To see everyone as God's child. Every animal, every bird, and especially every human being. Raghunath was explaining earlier that on a material level, there's really no two people that are equal in every way. Among the countless mosquitoes in this world, none of them are completely the same. We may see them the same because we don't have the sensitivity to enter into their community. But each one of them is individual. Each one of them is unique. Each human being is unique. Different people, different species have certain strengths and certain weaknesses. There's the, always been throughout history. There's the rich and the poor. There's people who have incredible karma to learn, to memorize, and other people who just don't have that capacity. There's some people who can just pick up a musical instrument and become a master within a year, and there's others who practice for 30 years, a thousand times more than that other person, and they never really become very good. So we all have our strengths and weaknesses, but nobody's the same. So in this situation, how to actually see equality, and not only see it, but in a practical way, to express it through being a well-wisher, through bring, being a sister or a brother, according to our capacity being a protector. When I was a young boy, I wasn't so good at studies, although my parents really wanted me to be good. And one of my neighbors who was in my class, he was straight A's. He was the top student in the class. But my parents loved me because I was their son, more than that person. So love is not just about qualifications. There is incredible variegatedness. I often give the analogy that, that I have heard from my teachers that in the human body, there are so many organs, and each organ has a different size, different color, different texture, and a different function. The lungs cannot do what the pancreas does, and the pancreas cannot do what the kidneys do, and the brain cannot do what the heart does. But they're all, with respect to one another, appreciating each other's differences and encouraging and empowering one another, and that's a healthy body. And if any part of the body neglects any other part of the body, then the whole body becomes diseased. So it is important that we really seek 
the essence. Everyone is God's children. Everyone is an eternal part of Krishna. We are all sparks of the same source, eternal light. We all have the potential to love. And when we understand that, then, then we harmonize that respect, that idea of service to one another in all the varieties we have. And then the variegatedness actually becomes beautiful. Yes, we will find that, you know, in historical contexts, in philosophical concepts, there are oftentimes apparent contradictions. But when we see the essential principle, which is actually the larger principle, then all of those apparent contradictions become harmonized. They're all meant to make us into loving servants of the servants of the servants, compassionate instruments of God's grace in every possible way we can be. That is Dharma. Thank you. Thank you, Marge, for um, that illuminating answer. Um, another question that has come in, through bhakti, how can one overcome past trauma of the conditioned mind? Is chanting the holy names the sure way? Can you repeat the question? Because we were a little fuzzy in the technology. Through bhakti, how can one overcome past trauma of the conditioned mind? Is chanting the holy names the sure way? <laughs> chanting the holy names is, as Sri Chaitanya has proclaimed, Param Vijayate Sri Krishna Sankirtana. It's the greatest blessing and benediction to all humanity. And in the lines previous to this particular statement, he's describing why. Because the chanting of the holy names cleanses the heart. Lord Chaitanya compares the heart to a mirror. The purpose of a mirror is to see ourself clearly. But when the mirror is covered with layers and layers of dust and dirt due to neglect for countless lifetimes, then all we see is the dust and dirt and we, and we think that's me, my desires, my fears, my traumas, this is all me. The purpose of the chanting is to clean the mirror of the heart and gradually we actually see who we are. We're a beautiful, perfect, part child of God, full of love, full of joy, beyond birth and beyond death. How beautiful is that when the mirror of the mind is cleaned? But at the same time, in order for that chanting to have the proper effect, we, we, we need a, a social structure 
and we need um, the help that's required so that we can actually, you know, go deep into our chanting. And in this case, um, you know, where there's past abuse and past trauma, um, the, the liberation from that is essentially through taking shelter of God's grace. But at the same time, we may need help to actually have the proper state of consciousness so that we can take to the process of, of seeking God's grace fully. Sometimes that means therapy. Sometimes that means just having a community of people who actually care about us. Srila Prabhupada, and I'm, I'm using him as an example so much because my, my heart and my life with so much appreciation is so filled with his example that I, I just can't contain myself by, from sharing it. But he, he gave us this process of bhakti and how if we chant the name of Krishna or, or the name of God with sincere faith, like a child crying for mother to take shelter, then we can achieve the highest liberation. But he didn't just tell us, chant Krishna's names and leave it at that. He gave us a whole community and a whole set of um, principles of interactions with one another to actually make that possible for us. For little children, he would give them cookies and he would smile at them and he would pat them on the head and he would, and the mother, he would give them a flower and say, thank you very much. And that gave them such a inspiration to actually follow the path of bhakti. He wanted devotees to care for each other. He knew that there were in this world, wherever we go, there are so many people who have been abused in so many ways in their lives. So many people who have gone through intense traumas where there's deep wounds and scars in their consciousness. We can't neglect those things. We can't neglect them in our own lives and we can't neglect them in the lives of the other people around us. Our love for each other, our care for each other, our willingness to help each other physical health. My, my beloved, worshipable God-brother Giriraj Swami, when he was ill in the hospital, Srila Prabhupada was sending him prasad, sometimes visiting in the hospital to, to, to give him um, happiness, to help him overcome the disease. He didn't just say, you're not this body. So we need 
to emotionally be there for each other according to our capacity. We have to recognize and, and um, do something according to our abilities to help. When somebody has been traumatized or someone is in difficulty on a physical level, we should do everything we can. On an emotional level, we should do everything we can. But ultimately, the real liberation from that or any other problem is through that we're helping each other so that we could chant God's names and find the liberation that's forever within ourselves. Does that answer the question? I think it, it more than answers the question, Maharaj. I feel like it's hard for me to just move on to the next question because I feel like we all need to just take a, a day and process every one of these answers because they're so rich and deep. But um, it's very, very beautifully mentioned. And, and um, on that, there's another question. Sometimes I'm seeing some of the questions that are being asked um, are in some ways related to, to each other. This is another question that somebody asked. Um, it was based off of a, earlier this morning, Jagirid Hari led everybody in a beautiful meditation practice that culminated in a very slow and deep chanting of the Maha Mantra. So this person wrote, uh, this morning we chanted the Maha Mantra slowly. For me, this way was very moving spiritually and helped me to go deeper. However, when I chant my morning rounds, I find I'm repeating the mantra very quickly in order to be done. Um, if, why are we sometimes instructed to chant a certain number of rounds and why not have the measurement be of time instead? If we are counting rounds, we may just hurry to be done, but going slowly might allow us to go deeper. Is the number of rounds more important than the time spent in chanting Japa? <laughs> they are they are both important it's, it, the most effective way to take medicine is according to the prescription of a realized doctor so the great saints the acharyas or self-realized teachers they have given through their realizations, through their profound compassion for each and every one of us, they've given the most effective way to actually become purified through this prayerful meditation of chanting Japa. And they have given quality that we should be absorbed. We should really strive to meditate on the holy name. We should be praying, praying with each name through our awareness, through our attention, through our hearing, through our intent. They also taught that if we live a life of good character and we live a life of of service to God and to others, then we'll be in a blessed state of mind to actually get the greatest effect in our chanting. 
our day could be in a bhakti tradition analogy we're cooking we're cooking a wonderful meal for krishna and we go out and we purchase whatever vegetables or we collect them from our gardens and then with with great attention we prepare everything but then it culminates when we actually with our heart with gratitude and devotion we make the offering to the lord so our day is like preparing and when we sit down in the morning or walk whatever way we chant we're actually making the offering of the consciousness that we have prepared in our life throughout the day before and we're starting the next day with this prayer so the quality of our chanting is very important to be attentive to be prayerful but at the same time for those who are very serious to make the best possible spiritual progress the great teachers have given us a quantity that should be regulated every day as a minimum and like medicine we want the right medicine we need to take it properly and we don't take it whimsically having a specific number of rounds that we chant each day bells are going it helps us to regulate our chanting and in this way we are entrusting our confidence in the wisdom the realization and the compassion of the great souls and shri chaitanya mahaprabhu and the six goswamis themselves they chanted with the deepest quality but they also had a regulated quantity for japa kirtaniya sadahari we can chant in at every moment anywhere everywhere but japa is the time when we put everything else aside to completely bathe our consciousness with radharani and krishna's grace in the form of their names and we do it with confidence with faith in the wisdom of our great spiritual physicians who really know what is best for us thank you so much maraj um beautiful answers to all of these questions um another question that came in was um from someone who mentioned my question is about seva in the family during this time please give some advice on staying humble i have seven adorable loving children whom i am home with and regularly i'm happy to serve all aspects of our family but between online homeschooling the anxiety of all of us being quarantined we lost our grandfather to covid the week after easter etc i'm finding myself more emotionally 
and spiritually exhausted than ever. So the question is, how do we stay humble at the same time um, confronting our limits of what we're able to offer other people? As our beloved friend, Yogi Charu, was explaining in his beautiful session, we need time to relax. We need time to restore ourselves so that we can cope with the stress. We have our sadhana, our spiritus, and we have so many obligations and duties, in this case, to our family. Um, I, I have seen parents completely consume 24 hours a day with one child. Seven children is, is, is really a great, um, <laughs> a great power you have. Um, these are Krishna's children. These are God's children. You need the spiritual strength to give them the best you can. And you also need the emotional strength. And just as the body needs physical time to rest, and the body needs physical proper nutrition and regulation in the way we eat in order to actually be able to serve the best with our body and mind, our our mind needs to be nourished and it needs rest. It needs some time for, for some relaxation so that we can actually qualitatively give them more. It's very difficult. I can't even imagine how frantic it may be running around and doing all these responsibilities of homeschooling and their health and their interactions with one another and everything else, economics, you know, pressures. Um, we try our best. We try our best with the best balance of intelligence. And ultimately, if we try our best with a prayerful mood, then then Krishna helps us. Thank you so much, Maraj. We have, we have time for maybe one more question. Um, someone wrote in, how does one begin to approach and find their teacher? What must, one must, what must one do to seek the shelter of their guru or teacher? It is said by, by the kindness of God, one gets a guru, and by the kindness of guru, one gets God. Um, ultimately, it is God who is the supreme teacher for everyone. And if we're sincere and earnest to understand how to find a proper teacher, then Krishna himself reveals the teacher to us. 
There's a principle in the Vedic tradition of guru, sadhu, and shastra. That what the guru says is in harmony with the scripture, with the words of the supreme, and it's in harmony with those great saints in parampara or in lineage who have preserved the original meaning of those teachings, who have preserved the flow of grace that's coming you know, through their hearts. So when we're sincere and we search for the proper method by which we search for a guru, guru sadhu shastra, then, then God reveals to us. He reveals himself through the heart of our teacher. That yes, I have faith that if I, if I connect with these teachings, if I connect with this flow of blessings, then it will bring me to Krishna. Most important is we are sincere. Raghunath was explaining earlier that many people come to him for mantras, some for affluence, some for wealth, some for health, some for supernatural powers. Um, but Raghunath just gives them a mantra where they can be cleansed of all of these um, distractions so they could actually find that peace of God's love within themselves. So to be sincere in our search for a guru is we're looking for a guru who could actually awaken our love for God. And if we have the proper intentions and a sincere heart, Krishna reveals. Thank you so much, Maharaj. We, um, we just have a few minutes left, and I was just wanting to maybe offer to you, rather than a last question, are there any final or concluding or closing words that you would like to leave us with? Um, um, I don't know how to use this technology, but I'm seeing Bridget and Raghunath. <laughs> and I'm seeing Susan <laughs> from Maine. And I'm seeing Daya Goranga. I'm seeing so many wonderful, wonderful people. And I, I earlier I saw Kamaniya and Kishori Priya and so many special people. Um, it's a great reunion. Um, let us let us be united. Let us nourish each other as a community. Let us be there for each other. Yes, as as the questions today were so beautiful and so heartfelt and thoughtful. Um, we've all been through so much in our lives, so many disappointments, and so many wonderful experiences. And at this particular time, we're going through something else. And it's, it's a very challenging time. Um, like everything in this world, it will pass. Um, George Harrison, his first um, 
his first record, I believe, or album after he um, separated from the Beatles was All Things Must Pass. Um, it's really the story of life in this world. And we have to learn to accept that. If we try to cling to keeping things the same, we'll be frustrated. If we cling to having other people fulfill my expectations or situations or results of my actions, fulfilling my expectations, then we're sure to be frustrated because everything's always changing. All things do pass. How to stay in a flow to grow through all the changes and challenges of life. The, the present time really is, um, it, it's sad we should do everything we can to support those who are helping and we should help whatever way we can. But at the same time, every situation is a precious opportunity to grow. The world is very much disoriented. Things just are not the same. And nobody really knows when they will be the same or if they will ever be the same. But what matters is in the present moment, I could be doing the best I could do for myself and for others, for the present and for the future. Resilience is a characteristic of faith. In athletics, it's not that when everything's going our way and we're winning that we're great. Sometimes everything's going against us and we're losing, but resilience means we still have the hope to win. And when we have that hope, then we'll strive and struggle. And spiritually, it's that striving and struggling itself that is our victory, not the external material result. The greatest blessing is to awaken our connection to Krishna, to God, to learn to love, to learn to be an instrument of compassion, to learn the immortal nature of our own eternal soul. And we only have a small amount of time to do that in this human life. In whatever situation, 70 years, 80 years, even 100 years is a very small amount of time. Maharaj Katbanga, he was a great king, like Maharaj Shibi, who was cited before by Raghunath. Maharaj Katbanga was give, he did such an incredible service to the Devatas. And they gave him a blessing. What would you like? He asked, how long do I have to live? 
They said, actually, only another moment. He didn't curse that situation. After all I've done, I only have another moment to live. He, he felt such an opportunity. In this moment, I could fully take shelter and actually awaken to my eternal liberated state. And he did. He used that moment, even though it was so brief, with the utmost joy and gratitude, and he attained liberation. Parikshit Maharaj was going to die in seven days. There was no question of a vaccination that could save him. There was no question of a ventilator. He was going to die, it was for sure. But he took it not as a curse. He took it as a blessing that my purpose in life, I can achieve in seven days what would ordinarily take me a hundred years if I just seek shelter of the limitless, sweet, beautiful grace of the Lord. And he did. He achieved perfection within those seven days. I I have seen with my own eyes my beloved brother, Bhakti Swami Maharaj, when I was at his bedside among you know, his beloved caretakers, and to see, to hear, to feel the gratitude of his heart for each moment that led him in his life to this. Even the difficulties, even things that didn't go our way, they actually help to bring us to a place where we can really take shelter of the Lord. And if we process whatever's happened in our life in such a way that somehow or other we, f we seek that shelter, then we can recognize the beauty of the underlying energy that's there in our hearts and in our lives. This whole material world is the spiritual world if we understand, appreciate, and reconnect with the divine energy that's in the background of everything that exists. And then through all the changes, we're connected with that energy. It's not easy, but it's the greatest opportunity, it's the most meaningful purpose, and the most precious gift that we have. Our life, whatever the condition is, whatever the condition has been, to recognize that life is a gift to love God to learn to love and be an instrument of that love. So this 
COVID-19 um, crisis that the world is facing. Let us recognize that the sun, the sun of God's grace is forever shining in the sky. And however many clouds, however dark the night may be, however stormy the winters, the sun of grace is always shining. By chanting, by praying, by serving, by associating with uplifting people, we could actually connect with the light of that zone of God's grace. But we need each other. That's very much, that's very much a part of the path is to humble ourselves, to help others, and to seek the help of others. Krishna tells, Tatra Tishtaminarada Yatra Gayanti Man Bhakta, that where my devotees are united together to inspire one another, to enlighten one another, to serve one another, that's where I am. Thank you, Dayo Goranga, Lalita Priya Devi, and to Yogi Charu Prabhu and Jaigiri Dari and Virabhadra Raman Raghunath Prabhu and Janavi um, Jeevani Devi and to everyone who is assembled for making this Bhakti retreat um, such a wonderful gift of devotion um, that we could share with each other. And let us take this inspiration and share it with everyone possible. Thank you very much.